Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Tommy Bahami. Big Dave, guess what? What? I love having a blast from my past on today's show, man. I, I saw Michael in 2016, I think, and he was on the same panel as I was, and we kind of connected a couple of times and reconnected at Nandusapalooza in Denver, and it's just nice to be able to interview somebody who's been successful in this day and age of technology and just association management. So my, I'm, glad to, I'm glad to reconnect on here with him. So we have Michael DeFrisco. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Tom. Good to see you again. Michael is the executive director, relatively new executive director, correct? Oh, yeah, like three weeks in. Yeah. Oh, three. <laughs> very, I thought it was a few months. So you're talking three weeks in. This is great. This is good. <laughs> oh, my God. That makes this so much better. I know. Cause you know what, Dave? I can't yeah. wait to hear what, what has been great and what's been challenges in the first three weeks. <laughs> So, right. much so, in there. so, so AACD, American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, uh, Michael and I know each other because he's a client of Propule. Thank you very much, Michael, for that. Uh, but Tom, take us back. Uh, you, you, when did you meet Michael? So I met Michael and it's so funny. I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the, uh, the FSAE, Florida Society of Association Executives Think Tank white papers because I met Mike in 2016 at Digital Now, and through that, we were talking about 1997 when I went to my first FSA think tank, and they were talking about the internet. The people that used to own uh, Therm uh, Fusion Productions, Hugh and D Don D were the moderators of that, and they think of where they've come in this day and age of digitalness. And back in 1997, we were just starting to talk about the internet and its implications on the association community. I really can't wait to go back. I just found the pages to download that white paper and see what we were saying as an industry back then. I mean, think about that. That's almost 30 years ago. Okay, but so I'm looking. I just Googled what was the... <laughs> By the way, I was on the internet. Don't get me wrong. I'm no kid here. I know I look it, but I'm no kid. I, you know, I was, uh, I, I just graduated business school, just met my wife to be. Uh, so 1997, I said, what was the internet like in 1997? Most people use dial-up internet connections with mighty speeds ranging from 28.8K to 33.6K kilobits. Is that what it is? Kilo, KBPS? Can't remember what that stands for. Um, they started switching from a 640 to 480 to an 800 by 600 screen resolution. Uh, crazy absolutely insane like the the evolution in the past 25 years well i just looked it up dave it was not 1997 it was actually 2000 was the think tank oh so I've, got, yeah. I've got the white paper right in front of me and i can't wait to download it and actually go read because it was all about it was called the past to the present and it was it was generated a lot through what's happening with this thing called the internet so the two, 2000 uh apparently at this point we had discovered that the world did not collapse in right. Y2K. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, man. And Michael, what's your favorite memory from, from the year 2000? Me? I, you talk, did you ask me that? Yeah, right? you. Yeah. Um, I, well, I, I think at that point, I was working at the, I was just um, 
working at the Experimental Aircraft Association in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Uh, and I was hoping for the Jetsons by now. I mean, you know, where's the flying cars? Yeah. Right? I think that's what I'm hoping Tom finds in that in that FASC white paper. Um, so, yeah, that's that's when I was uh, uh, deep into aviation and uh, working in my second association job. Uh, the first one was Ducks Unlimited. That's where I learned about associations. I've heard you guys on this podcast in the past talk about how people enter the workforce, they go to work for an association, and they didn't know that that was even an option, like that that's a career path. Um, and, you know, here I am, whatever it is, 25 years later, uh, and almost 30 years later after entering my first association and uh, have my certified association executive credential and and uh, that's where life has taken me. You know, it's funny when you talk about career path, Michael, because I've I've done um, a couple of I've been I've been offered the opportunity to come back to Florida State University, which I uh, graduated to a business fraternity that I was a part of, and be a alumni speaking to the two hundred pledges about life and career path and stuff. And oh man, tell me you're going to do that, Tom. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh I, well, I've done it twice, and it's a phenomenal experience. Mm. And so, but what was cool about it when you say a career path and, and associations is everybody talks about a career path in public life, which is the government or nonprofits, which they're thinking of the heart society or the American cancer society, but they're no one ever talks to them about the Tallahassee realtors association or the metal treating Institute or, or your group. No one ever talks about the trade group or the societies. It's always about the charitable organizations or government. That's what they think of public and private life. So, I do. I try and do a bang up job. Say, look, if you got an industry that you maybe you love cars, why not? Why not go work for the the Tennessee Dealers Association or the uh, SEMA, who's at you know who's who's a big car enthusiast. So you know, so really try and hit on that a great deal, so people really get unpack and understand there are career paths that we don't just. Many of us have stumbled into it, but I try and really encourage people to to walk into it instead of stumbling into it. Yeah, good point. But, but you know what, Tom? Um, I think we forget that associations are small businesses, you know, and obviously not literally, they're not for profits, but they're, they're very, very similar to small businesses. And that, that, Michael, that was the, you probably know this being a listener, but that's the premise behind this podcast is I'm the entrepreneur, Tom's the association exec, and we talk about the relationship between those two. But associations are small businesses. I mean, if you look at American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, you're somewhere around two to three million in revenue. Uh, a little bit more, yeah. The more than three? Yeah. Okay, so three or four. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so three or four million. I mean, it's all public information. I just, obviously, my data is not updated. That's good news. That means you've grown since our, my my data was updated. That's good news. But the point is, like, how many college kids, when they're job hunting, hear about $4 million businesses or organizations. You don't, you just hear about like the billion dollar opportunities because they're the ones hiring tons of people. So of course they're not hearing about associations. There's very few associations that are more than $10 million, let alone a billion dollars. I don't think, I mean, I don't think there's many associations over say a half a billion dollars in revenue. Yeah. Can't can um, that would definitely be on the on the high side, but no, you're you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's not a it's not an obvious choice, uh, especially when you're early on in your you know exploring your options. Um, I got into publications and you know creating magazines. I was a creative director, and that's what got me into 
the world of Ducks Unlimited because of the Ducks Unlimited magazine. So that's when I kind of first discovered, hey, this is an option. I could, you know, do what I do with magazines and publishing and journalism and creative direction, but do it within the context of this mission-based organization. Uh, Michael, I was just about to look it up, but maybe you can save me the effort. What, what is Ducks Unlimited? Ducks Unlimited is a waterfowl conservation organization. Uh, big, big company, um, 600,000 members. Uh, these are mostly conservationists, waterfowl enthusiasts, duck hunters, essentially. But it, it, it's a nonprofit. It's an association? Correct. Yeah. Membership, individual membership association. Yeah. And, and so what, did you, what did you do for them? Give me a little bit of your career journey. So you worked for Ducks Unlimited. Yep. I was the creative director. Um, so I worked in the marketing department and the publications department. Um, and then that led to, I'm also a private pilot. So after six years at Ducks Unlimited, um, I had this opportunity to go and work for the Experimental Aircraft Association, which I had been a member of since the mid eighties. Um, so that was like a dream job. Here I am a pilot and I'm, I'm working on this, on Sport Aviation Magazine uh, and their other niche publications. They had six publications in total. Um, so that was really, really cool. I spent 12 years with EAA. So I'm very curious with such a dream job, what, what led to the next change in your career? Why did you leave? Oh, it was just, uh, you know, the, the thing that I think a lot of professionals run into or you run out of room to grow. Yeah. You know, to, to continue to expand, to continue to, uh, learn, you know, just kind of ran out of room. Um, that's a long time, 12 years. Yeah. At least yeah. in this day and age, my, my dad worked for United Technologies for 30 some odd years before he got laid off. And that was, you know, the, our, that generation was so used to working for one company for decades. Yeah. That just doesn't happen anymore. Correct. I, I would agree. Yeah. You don't, you don't hear that much anymore. I kind of take the opposite end of that spectrum when it comes to work. So, you know, I, I had a guy one time, a friend of mine, he, he, he said he's been, he's going to start looking for a new job. I'm like, well, don't you do your current job really well? I said, yeah, I do it in my sleep. I said, aren't you paid? Well, he says, yeah. I said, well, you know, what I see a new challenge represents is more stress, longer hours. Cause when you're looking for that new challenge it's typically a company looking to grow or do something. And now you've got a job that you go home. You don't take work home. You can spend more time mentally with your family or your spouse or with life. So I think it's I think it got to be dangerous when we start thinking about I need a new challenge when they're doing when you're getting. I think the thing is, when you if you're still being paid well um, and you're and it, you know, I was one of those that tried to find the growth area outside in my personal life as opposed to in work, because I don't want to work 80 hours trying to build someone else's company. No, you know, not with you, Tom. Totally, totally not with you. This is and this is a very common entrepreneurial perspective is among my friends in the entrepreneurs world. And by the way, my, my association is entrepreneurs organization. That's, that's the association I belong to. Um, aside with of ASAE, you know, it's, those are the two for me, it's ASAE and EO. Those are my two associations. And if you talk to the average person in EO, um, we're not working for the money. Like money is a nice side effect of, of working and you need it, right? You need the money. We work because uh it's fun like we work be it's frustrating too but we work because it becomes this passion it's like a game you know for me that's a prop fuel is it's it's very much a sport and and i love it for that reason so like i don't think about work as a place where i have to go clock in 
and then I get to go have fun after. Mm-hmm. Work for me is just a stimulating part of life. So I I, I I I totally agree on that, and I wasn't saying it's about the money. I'm just saying it, you know if if you're in a place for say 15 years and the and and the pay begins to do this, then it's like okay, I'm, I need to go look for other growth opportunities because they've they've put me a ceiling on at least how much I'm getting rewarded financially. But I mean, if the pay is still going like this, and all you got to do is figure out how to make it fun and challenging. You know, I, you know, because when you move into a new organization, you may have moved somewhere and go, oh, my gosh, I wish I would not have moved. You know, unless mm-hmm. the culture's bad and the pay is still rising. I mean, I'm just one of those that says think think twice about making the move because you just want to see something change. Because that I've seen a lot of people make that change. And, man, and, and the guy that they thought of the way they thought was going to be a great culture driver and a good person ended up being not so good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like what you said there. I mean, it's about finding your own challenge, um, continuing to grow. That's personal responsibility, right? So, right. Um, so yeah, I, you know, it's not just about job hopping um, or looking, sure. for the, looking for that next increase in compensation necessarily. Um, it's more about, in my case, kind of just continuing to expand and to grow. And so where did you go? And then that brought me to uh, the AACD. So my dad was a dentist. So when I saw this opportunity, um, I'm like, well, I could kind of, in a way, get into the family business. Um, and then I started with them uh, overseeing publications because that was my background, but also membership and marketing because um, the marketing piece has always been big in my career. And uh, after a couple of years, moved into the CMO role. So ended up on the senior team. And then on November 1st, Took over as the executive director. So I've been there for 10 years now. Was your dad alive or is your dad alive right now? No, no. He passed away quite young. So he was not alive when you took this job. Correct. That's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so when they they asked you what, what, what qualifies you to be in this, this role? Did you say, my dad was a dentist? (laughs) Okay. Because literally. I wouldn't call it a qualification at all. It's just, but people, really? do, people do connect to that. They do see some linkage there and, uh, can, you know, kind of appreciate it. Well, I asked that question only because when I got my first association job, they, I was against four people that came from the automotive industry and I, I, I did not. So I wasn't in the automotive world and I would never run an association. And I, but I was first on the line to be interviewed in the five people. And this one guy who had been past president in 1972 leaned back and said, Tom, what do you know about the automotive industry? And I looked out at the window and I looked back, I said, I fixed my own car. And they said, well, does it work? I said, yeah, it got me here, didn't it? And they said, that's good enough for us. <laughs> so sometimes you don't know what answer is going to like chime in to speak to yeah. someone. Yeah. I was uh, given a presentation once and somebody kind of looked at me and said, well, how did you go from, you know, Ducks Unlimited to the Experimental Aircraft Association to a dentistry association? And, and I went, I, you know, I don't know. I think the the common denominator was I went from duck wings to airplane wings to bite wings, right? So, <laughs> so there is a, that last there is was a stretch. That's a stretch in that last one. <laughs> oh, my God. that's good though. I like it. Uh, so I love something you said earlier. You said it jokingly. Um, you said I thought we'd be in flying cars by now, and and I don't disagree. And in, in all seriousness, if you were to ask people back in 1997 or 2000 like what do you think the world's gonna look like in 2023 like i think in 2024 by the time people are listening to this i i think um 
um, a lot of us would have agreed with you. Um, we would have thought autonomy, autonomous cars would be faster. We thought we'd be in the air flying. Um, but so to me, on one hand, it's, it's amazing how slow progress is in some places. And then in other places, it just out seems of to be out of control fast. Yeah. Now yeah. in the association world, I tend to say this and I always am afraid I'm going to annoy somebody or, or this is going to hit somebody the wrong way. Most people agree. The association space tends to move slowly. We tend to, um, decisions are made by committee. Oftentimes boards being the top committee in any given association, a lot of decisions roll up to the board. Anytime you have a, a decision by committee, it's going to be the most average decision that they could possibly make in most cases. Um, so innovation does not take a front seat. Uh, number one, would you agree generally with that? And number two, you're clearly doing, or it may not be you because you're three weeks in, but AACD is clearly doing something right because you've grown over the past few years. So let's start with the first one. Do you agree that generally speaking, the association space is slow to innovate? I, I totally agree with that. And in fact, I encourage my staffs, um, you know, whatever size staff it is uh, and in the various places I've worked to get outside get outside the association world, um, go to conferences that maybe are not association focused. We oh, that's great. Be, yeah, we tend to be in a vacuum in, when we work in an association. And then further, there's the category that we reside in. So I'm in the dental space. And even the whole dental world, uh, dental association world, uh, that profession um, can be vacuous. So you need to get out and see what other people are doing and see how they're innovating um, because otherwise you'll you'll continue to get stuck. And of course you're right, you know, there's there's layers of governance and um, committee structure and you want that volunteer involvement, especially when you're dealing in my case with clinical issues, things that uh, our team, our, our staff team doesn't really know about. I mean, we're pretty smart people, but we can't work on people's teeth. So we we need our we need our volunteers, uh, especially on some committees like the people who program our annual conference, our professional education committee. They're the experts in that. And so we depend on that, but it does tend to make things a little bit slow moving. You know what I think we're you know what I think we're not good at day in my is associations and I've seen this in my career is we're not good at connecting the, the the CEO who we are really the advisor to the board. And we there's we need to present everything we can to the board for them to make a good choice about where do we go to the future, considering what's happening in the past as a, as a relative guide to us. And so I don't think, we, I think many association execs do not do a good job of connecting the decisions today to its impact in the future with a look at the key metrics over a period of time that can show are our metrics going like this or are they going like this? Because I've seen I've seen metrics that where their net worth or their membership are going like this downward. And they're not they're not they're not making a they're not changing how they make decisions. And I think that's been the success of our association is I've really tried to connect the dots. To, I always present, hey, guys, ladies, if you all don't do this, if you do nothing, this is what happens in the next five to 10 years. And why are you going to put that future board in a position to have to dig us out of this hole? You know, and but a lot of association execs 
they just don't have the nerve to have that conversation from what I can see. Cause you have, you have to face, you have to face the, the fast paced future today of how we make decisions so we can make them today. Right. And I think that, that I think is the, the biggest challenge of an association is the executive telling the stories in a way that the board says, wow, guys, we can't push this to the next leader or the next board. We've got to start taking action now. I'm curious to hear your reaction to that, Michael. Yeah, that's a that's a great point and probably one that can't be emphasized enough. Um, we have some built-in continuity with leadership, so they go through a three-year process where they're you know they're vice president, then they're uh, president-elect, and then they become president for a year. So there is some continuity amongst our boards, but um, but then there's this you know it's it gets refreshed every couple of years and people leave and new people come on and you have to continue to reiterate. Uh, what I would call kind of business fundamentals uh, like that. Um, you know, especially when they're dentists and laboratory technicians, um, they might be practice owners. Most of them are in our case uh, uh, or, or lab owners, but they're not used to running, you know, a, a big business and dealing with all the details, you know. And, and Dave, let me, let me clarify something that you said earlier. Actually, the Academy uh, suffered quite a bit when the pandemic hit. Um, we were soft. Uh, when it hit, and there was definitely uh, a pretty dramatic dip, especially in retention. Um, but we continue to do a pretty good job with acquisition. And we have made some strides, I think, in innovating new programs, uh, new focus. Um, you know, I, I get excited about how we can focus on the one thing that the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry does differently than any other dental organization. What's that? That we have a credential. AACD is the only aesthetic dental organization that has a credential. And while it may not be for everybody, only about five or 6% of our membership is credentialed, somewhere around 35, 36% of new members say they joined because of the credential. They want to be around that halo effect that those those kind of high-end rock star dentists who are doing, you know, the really Instagram worthy work, uh, the ones who are doing kind of celebrity dentistry, things like that. So the, the credential works for us, I think in multiple ways, not just are we setting higher standards, which create better results for the dental patients, um, but we're, we're also kind of attracting uh, passionate, uh, dental professionals who really want to do the best work that they can. The so I think the the I was a few minutes ago. I was I'm sorry. Now I can finally try to get a, a, a comprehensive thought out after fumbling through that. I think the topic today, and I wasn't sure what the topic was going to be. Sometimes we just get an interesting person and we want to bring him in and have a conversation about associations. But clearly for me, the topic today is leading towards leadership. And what a great topic for somebody three weeks into the role as executive director. Now you've been there a while, but I'm curious, what are you, what is your, what's your hundred day plan for uh, being the new executive director, what are you what are you doing over the next couple months? Yeah, I was at a Wisconsin Society of Association Executives meeting about three months ago, and it was about executive transitions and leadership. And 
some they knew that they knew that I was going to be taking over uh, for uh, the retiring Barb Kahelski, who was the executive director at AACD for ten years, and that, as Tom knows and Dave, you too, because you your clients are associations. That is a long tenure for an executive director. Right. So. The, when the question came up, well, what are you going to do differently? It was similar to what you just asked. And what went through my mind was I have been, you know, sitting at Barb's kind of desk for, for over 10 years. And if I thought she was heading in the wrong direction or or steering the academy astray or doing things that she shouldn't have been doing or not innovating when she should have or whatever, I would have spoken up. So the short answer is, it's not like, ah, now it's my turn to lead. I'm going to go in this direction. It's not really that at all. We're in the middle of a, you know, a three-year strategic plan. We understand our focus. We know who our best fit members are. We know what makes us different in the marketplace. We cannot compete in the continuing dental education space because that is hyper-competitive. Um, and you know, we can't sit here and say, well, we do it better because there is no, we do it better. It's, it's what do we do differently? And that's our credential. So we're gonna to continue to focus on that. We're gonna to continue to execute against our strategic plan. Um, thankfully, Barb was prescient enough to know what her exit plan was gonna be and that she had me in mind as a successor. The board had to agree to that, of course, but so she had me lead um, three years in a row, our strategic planning session, which gave me not only a platform and some visibility to our leaders, but it also gave me some pretty direct ownership to what levers we needed to pull, you know, to make things happen. So, so there, there is, there really is no me for you. The transition has been happening for three years. This is not, yeah, it's it not like a, all of a sudden you got a new job and you have to come in and learn the ropes. It was a very generous on-ramp, um, especially this last six, eight, six to eight months. Um, with a, a lot of baton passing. And I couldn't have asked for a, a better entrance into the job. The opposite of Barb, who got hired from the credit union world, um, you know, uh, back in 2013. And she knew nothing about dentistry. She didn't know about our culture. She didn't know about, you know, how our governance structure worked. And she had to figure it all out from, the, from, from scratch. So I have a, I have a huge, a huge leg up. So what, what, what was the, what was your last job? What was the title? I was the chief marketing officer. Okay, CMO. So it, it, what was the difference, do you think, between being CMO and ED? You know, that's a great question because I still consider the strategic part of marketing to be part of my role. I, I won't be able to get rid of it. I won't be able to totally take off that hat. I, I will not get tactical and I will not micromanage the marketing staff, but it's hard for me to imagine being in the ED role without looking at the organization strategically. Um, but the ED role does give me a broader kind of picture of everything, things that I didn't have to be concerned with before I now have to be more concerned with. Um, but the strategy part of my job, I think is gonna stick with me. So I was in a board meeting. Um, bear in mind that the board meetings for a private software company are significantly different than a board meeting for like an association. So I was in one of our board meetings, which consists of me. I'm a board member, my partner, um, one other person, 
uh, an equity shareholder. Uh, actually, we're all equity shareholders. And then two other people outside the organization, one very familiar with our industry, and then one is an attorney, right? So it's a very small group, heavily invested in the organization. And one of them, this is like three, four, five months ago, uh, five months ago, one of them turned to me and said, you know, and I've known this person for uh, 15 years, I think at this point. And this person said to me, he's the attorney, he said, uh, Dave, uh, Cameron, my partner, Cameron's doing a really good job growing as a co-founder and um, CTO of the organization. But I haven't seen that growth in you. He's like, you're running this company like you ran your last one. My last one was Peach New Media, a learning management system. Started in 2001, sold it in 2015. So he's like, you're running PropFuel like you were running your last one. He's like, you had mentors back then, right? I was like, yeah. He says, you are now the mentor. You need to act like it. So I got a little scolding mm. from one of our board members, and it was done with love. It was kind of like your dad talking. <laughs> it's the funny thing is we're the same age. But it's kind of like my dad pulling me aside saying, look, you're, you're 18 years old now. You're a man. You need to act like it. Stop acting like a child. That's, that's essentially what he said to me. So it, it, that particular advice wasn't super helpful, but it got me thinking. And that was the super helpful part of it is basically said, you need to think about this. Now, when a parent says that to the kid, they go and they, they huff and they puff and they blame other people. Fortunately, I've matured a little, believe it or not, over the years. And so I started thinking about this feedback. My feelings weren't hurt, but it got me thinking very introspectively about what does it mean to be a good leader? And so I started listening to books. I say listen because I do a better job listening than reading. So I started listening to books on Audible. I started writing a lot of notes down. I started talking to other friends that are leaders. I started um, uh, talking to a coach that I work with about what it means to be a leader. And the advice I received that was awesome advice was to block off two hours. Now, I, I created the block of time and the frequency, but I picked two hours a week, literally have a two hour block in my calendar called think. And I put this to it's Thursday mornings from 8 to 10. And 8 to 10 a.m., I get a cup of coffee somewhere. I might go to a coffee shop. I bring my laptop. I, I, I've learned that I need to shut off my phone. Otherwise, it'll totally distract me. And I, I ideally, no internet, right? So you're not getting pings and stuff. I find, get a cup of coffee, and I challenge myself with a question. I'm sorry for going on and on here, but that, to me, this is a major epiphany in my life over the past quarter. And I challenge myself with a question. Maybe the question for this one example would be, where do I think Propule should be in three years from now? Or where do I think Propule should be in 15 years from now? Now, with a software company, that's an unfathomable question. Point being, it was a phenomenal exercise. And I do this every week that I can. Sometimes I miss weeks with travel and stuff. But on average, I'm doing it twice a month or so. But I, carving out that time to think and take notes and write almost like a journal and then talking to my partner about it has proven to be one of the best shifts in becoming a leader that I have made in decades. It's awesome. So I don't know if that, that's not a really a question. I'm just sharing with you something I learned 
uh, when I was told I'm a bad leader. <laughs> he didn't <laughs> well, say I'm a bad leader. He said, I, I haven't grown, right? Yeah, Which I, yeah. I don't deny. But, you know, so, I, but sometimes, you know, I think we get, sometimes I wonder what, what kind of change are we looking for, though? Because, I mean, the reason we're continuing to do things that we did 10 years ago is because they work. I think we, we also you know, we, because you get complacent and you, you you're not okay I'm going to tell you another story Tom and and forgive me for rattling on so long if you wait, wait hold on Michael yeah, if, you haven't, figured this, if yeah. you haven't figured this out Dave and I why this is such an interesting podcast is we fight for your time yep <laughs> we invite you on only so we can talk over you so when i was this is why i disagree with tom uh, yes i think when you don't change oftentimes because you found something that works yes that is not wrong but there's other reasons why you don't change too and complacency is one of them here's an example of complacency the last time i heard this this feedback i was a, a junior in high school and my music teacher i played the trumpet and i was very good at the trumpet uh in fact, I was good because I started playing the trumpet a couple of years before most kids. My, I came from a musical family. My dad bought me a trumpet and taught me to play. So all through school, I was a little bit better than the average uh, trumpet player. You know, it was better than most trumpet players for that matter. But junior year in high school, my music teacher said to me, you know, Dave, and it was, it was actually said with lots of disdain. He said, you know, Dave, you haven't improved at all since you've been here in high school. And that, that crushed me because I always thought of myself as one of the best trumpet players and it sucked. And what I realized now looking back on it is he wasn't wrong. And the reason he wasn't wrong is because I didn't work at it anymore. I just went to school. I played the trumpet. I went home and I put the trumpet away and I never picked it up. I never did my scales. I never practiced the music. I never tried to get better. And so that is where, Tom, I think we can get complacent, except like, hey, I'm a pretty good leader. I think I got this. And then roll on. If you stop trying to do better at what you're doing, you will not get better. I totally agree. I'm just saying that there are certain things that we do 10 years from now and we keep doing them because they absolutely continue to work. Yeah, but I, I'm a big believer that there's still, but even that one thing that you're going to do today, 10 years from now, you're going to keep doing it, but you're going to do it in a different way so that it evolves and, and makes you better. So you let's know? bring this back to AACD for a second. Yeah. What's, what are you guys doing that works? You got the credential that that's working that differentiates you from other, from the competition out there. Um, where do you think the opportunity for growth is for you? Well, I think it all started with this realization, and we believe me, it was a realization because um, because the tendency, I think, human nature, uh, uh, you know, whatever complacency, um, that we are in the education space. Most associations are. We want to educate our members, so we're in the we're in the continuing dental education space. But like I mentioned earlier, we can't compete. We can't compete in that space. In fact, I just I find it kind of amazing that our sponsors, our exhibitors, our advertisers all compete against us in the education space. Our own members and our own leaders have their own teaching centers, so they compete against us in the teaching space. But making that realization and focusing on our accreditation and fellowship programs kind of switched a light on for us, right? So 
I like to think of it, and I presented this to the board a few years ago, but think of an ACD as a Parthenon, right? So it's got this foundation. And yes, that foundation is aesthetic dental education. Can't get away from that. And then each column in this Parthenon are one of our offerings, right? Our educational offerings. But all those columns do is support the pediment, the most visible part of the structure, which is accreditation and fellowship. Um, so everything that we do, our offerings and our benefits kind of reinforce uh, and strengthen accreditation and fellowship. So to get to your question, what we've been innovating on since the pandemic, you know, we're, we're just as an example, we're really well known for our hands-on courses, uh, our hands-on workshops at our conference. Well, when we couldn't meet, we created a program called Hands-On at Home, and we took the same kind of formula, but did it, you know, virtually, where uh, the suppliers sent materials to the to the homes or offices of our of our participants, and and we did Hands-On at Home. Uh, last year at our annual conference uh, in Texas, we launched a new program called the AACD Dental Dojo, which is kind of a intense mentorship and community to help our members who are in the process of accreditation get through the process uh, more quickly. So that program took off like wildfire. In fact, there's a, a waiting list for the next dental dojo. And then more recently, um, we came up with an accreditation written exam prep course that we're launching. Uh, again, we want to get more people into the accreditation pipeline. Um, and finally, we developed recently what we call the Aesthetic Skills Studio. It's kind of a hybrid study club. Uh, there's a lot of dental study clubs out there, and AACD did not have one, but we knew we couldn't compete in the same space as the uh, other well-established study clubs. So we came up with the Aesthetic Skills Studio, and it's hybrid, part virtual, part live, and it's a completely different animal. So what I'm saying is having a focus, understanding who our best fit members are, um, you know, being able to set aside the distractions of, uh, of uh, competition, I think we've been better able to innovate. And that's a really exciting place to be because like you said, and I totally acknowledge, associations are not strong in that area. I think... What's, with, where I went with this immediately is you said you're competing with your vendors and members for attention to content or, I mean, for, for education. Right. Um, I, I'm aware that almost all associations see their education as their value proposition. However... I will give you feedback as a member of two associations that I'm heavily involved in, like heavily involved in, uh, both of them. And I'm a member not for the education. Now, this is a sample of two, right, for one for each organization. I'm a member not for the education. I'm a member because it is my identity. I am an association professional and I am an entrepreneur. And I want to be around other association professionals and I want to be around other entrepreneurs. Those are my people. That's my tribe. Those are the people I want to learn from and hang out with and get to know better. Um, and I don't feel like associations embrace that piece of the pie enough. I don't know how they should do it better, but they certainly don't acknowledge that as being a number one reason 
or as being a reason why people are members? I think I think they 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 don't identify that specifically because it falls under the realm of networking. You know, networking is a kind of an all-encompassing yes. thing. I want I want I want to be connected to the people who I'm familiar with, and I'll get. We have a member who he joined specifically. He got talked into joining, and he really he really came at his first meeting not knowing what to expect. And he tells a story about the first night of his meeting. He's talking to people in the reception. And he's using terminology that everyone understands. And he said, my blood began to rise and my heart rate began because I'm talking to someone who understands what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. When, he, right. when he's at home at dinner with friends, he tries to talk to him, them about heat treating. And they're like, huh? Is it microwaves, ovens? What do, you, what do you do? He's like, no, we heat treat car parts, aerospace parts, the landing gear that you land on, the cracks, plane falls. What we do helps it stay together. And so when he got to a meeting, it's just what you're saying. You got around people who understood you and, and what you're talking about. And, and it's a connection. Yeah. I, I um, If you said that, Dave, you, your statement about feeling like you belong in your tribe, if you were to say that to me three, four years ago, I probably would have tried to push back on it. But, but more recently, I've started to really embrace the importance of that. And I'm not talking about the obvious things like, you know, we have an online community where people can post cases or ask a question. I'm talking about feeling like you're a part of something. This, this yeah. right here, what we are doing, I love doing this because I mm -hmm. love these conversations. It, it sparks this passion in me to talk about association stuff with you guys because you know it. I can't have this conversation with very many people. This is what I love about, and this may not have come to us through ASAE, but it comes to us through this community that we build fostered by ASAE. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Tom, we, I think we need to um, jump into that last question. Uh, man, I could just keep going and going about this though. Um, the, uh, the education, the, well, oh, oh, this is something I wanted to say. I think um, I, that may be my reason for belonging and renewing with EO and ASAE. But uh, other, there are people that belong for the education, for the certification, and for the um, advocacy. And that's why, and this is, a, I don't mean this to be a plug, but I'm always thinking about it. That's why you're using PropFuel and the new member onboarding. You're saying, why did you join AACD? Now, I don't know your onboarding campaign specifically, but I suspect early on you're asking your members, why did you join? So that you can have the conversation with them specifically about why that person joined and how AACC, AACD can help them with that. And so that's that's the whole premise behind Propul. We're talking in generalities here, mm -hmm. but the reason you're you're both using Propul is because you want to connect at the individual level. So that's my little plug for the episode. I can't go a full episode without plugging Propul. <laughs> All right, here yeah. we are. Last question. What yeah. was that, Michael? No, I was just going to say. So that's exactly what we try to do. Even when we're making member calls, is to try to understand how can we help you. What's important to you, and then we can curate you directly one-to-one -one, like mm -hmm. here's, a, here's a resource for you here's the perfect thing it it resides right over here you know log in and you can yeah. it's all yours so yes that's that's uh that's accurate 
All right, last question, which I know you know, Michael. Essentially, it's like, what's a key takeaway or, or leave behind for our listener? What is the thing that is you, you want to comment on from this conversation? Go ahead, Tom. So for me, it really kind of reaffirms something that I've known, but you'd like to hear it again. Someone said to me one time that our members come for the benefits, but they stay for the people. And I think that's what you're speaking of, Dave. I mean, yeah, we always use true. the benefit because it's hard to sell people until you experience that first moment when you're in a corner, business is sucking wind, and three people all come and say, hey, we're all sucking wind, but we're here to help together. And all of a sudden, yeah. you hit this whole relief come over, like because you think you're the only one sucking wind. And when you get in that network and and, you, and they understand your terminology, they understand how you feel, and they can help you move through this hard time, a year later, you're like, man, that was the greatest sense of relief just knowing that I'm not alone in this world as we go through. So that for me, that that's this conversation just kind of reaffirmed that element for me is that that's, you, you know, always, we're you never always, alone. You always come up with such good ones, Tom, like we're hiring a new marketing manager here at Propul. And so we put the job description out and all the details of this job and, and you know, what, what it entails. And so people are applying to the job because of the job description. Right. When they leave, if they ever leave, when the time comes that they're moving on to another job, I guarantee you ask that person, what'd you like most about that? And they're going to say, oh man, I worked with some great people. You know, it's like, it always comes back to the people, nothing in the job description. Right. Exactly. So yes, they sign on for the job description. And you could say this about a million things. They join for this sign, or they, they, they apply for the job description, but when they leave, their memories, their thoughts, and their feelings, their emotion is around their connection with people. Yeah, great call. Well, so, I, somebody told me years ago that people don't remember what they learn, but they remember how you made them feel. It's my angel. It right. Yeah, it's right to what you said. So for me, uh, something Michael said that early on, actually, he says, we're focusing on the one thing that we know we can do differently. And I love that. Um, gosh, it reminds me of a book. Some Mark Andreessen, maybe? I, can't, I don't have the book handy. Uh, something about the one thing that matters. But the point is, like, there can only be one top priority. And it's, we try to put too many things in that bucket very often. So I love your focus on that one thing that you're going to do really, really well. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, I think I think for me, it's the it's the reminder, not the realization, but the reminder that oftentimes association world doesn't doesn't act like a like a an entrepreneurial business, and that you know once in a while we got to recalibrate and make sure that uh, you know that the the KPIs and the the other metrics that we're following are driving us to to success. I. I was explaining to the board that it's like I went back to my aviation years and and said we we got to think of cash as the fuel in our in our wings. That's what's going to lift the organization up. Yes, our offerings are the engines, but they need fuel to run. And you know we we are not a nonprofit, you know, in, in that sense of the word. So act like a business, um, make business like decisions, um, and try to stay innovative. Yeah, good one. All right. Well, with that, uh, Michael, if somebody has a question about this, wants to reach out to you, what's a good way for them to reach you? Uh, yeah, uh, email is just Michael Michael D at aacd.com. So really easy. And you can find me just by my name in LinkedIn. 
Michael A., thank you for your business. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, Michael, thank you very much. And thank you for joining us today in the podcast. Yeah. You know, why, Mark, you know why, Dave, right? <laughs> why? Because they're a strong, my friend, and then there's an association strong. Yes, there is. We hope you gain some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorson.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.